Father, where would we be without your faithfulness? Great is thy faithfulness, mercy, and love. Lord, what is that but the Hebrew Hesed? Your tremendous love for us. Your faithfulness. Lord, we only pray that we could have a measure of the faithfulness toward you that you have towards us. So strengthen us, encourage us, build us up this day to live lives worthy of your kingdom and your calling. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So on uh, Christmas Eve I mentioned that, that God moved heaven and earth to see that one woman would be in one town in one manger to give birth to one child, Jesus Christ. God chose a virgin named Mary, which meant that there would be no need for a human male to father the child. However, God sent his son into a world, this world, to live in poverty, not splendor. There would be a great need for someone to provide the emotional support, the spiritual support, the physical support for the needs of the child. And so God chose Joseph to be the earthly caretaker of his heavenly son. So please understand that Joseph was not an afterthought. In fact, God's selection of Joseph was just as careful as his selection of Mary. On Christmas Eve, we primarily looked at the story from Luke's gospel. It's beautiful, it's familiar, it's filled with wonder and all. The same thing is true in Matthew's gospel. That's written from Joseph's perspective, a viewpoint that we do not often take or certainly feel the, the depth of emotion associated with it. In this text, we see that, that God assigned Joseph with many tasks that most would refuse, a series of great duties that could have marred his life, but rather ended up marking his life for God. So let's look at the text, Matthew 1, 18 through 24. The book of Matthew, chapter 1, 18 through 24, we see this, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ from Joseph's perspective. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us, or more technically, with us, God. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, the beginning of their relationship was dramatic, to say the least. I mean, Barbara and I had a much less dramatic relationship, but not only less dramatic, it was also a whole lot different. After attending Denali Bible Chapel for about six months, I trusted uh, Christ as my Savior in the winter of 1973. And that's pretty much just before we, we met. I'd seen her before then, but we hadn't really, we hadn't really met. So the chapel where we were at, the Denali Bible Chapel, when you would leave, they had a, a platform on either side and then steps that turned down and went towards each other, kind of like a, the, a grand staircase coming from, from both sides. And so uh, uh, sometimes, well, in this particular case, one spring Sunday after church, uh, Barb was on one side and I was on the other. So as we came down the steps, we're, we're, we're face to face. We're not that far from each other because it came down to, to one uh, platform. And so we moved step by step facing uh, each other and moving uh, toward each other. It was kind of a hallmark sort of a, a, a moment. And when we met at the bottom, it would have been completely awkward uh, not to say something. So I said to her, uh... I'm going to Kodiak Island next week for maneuvers, and I'm going to take some pictures. Would you like to see them when I get back? <laughs> and she said, sure. <laughs> and thus began a several-year process of, of meeting in groups and, and dating and long-distance relationship and, and then engagement and finally marriage. However, in, in Jesus' day... Young men and women didn't meet on staircases, nor did they become attracted to one another and date. What actually happened was your parents found a spouse for you. It might be your cousin, it might be someone else, but nevertheless, they may never have met at all. And they may have met at some of the larger family reunions, who knew, but nevertheless, that responsibility, that duty was left with the parents. Uh, like the story of Rebecca, if you recall that story, that marriage was arranged in one day uh, through Abraham's servant, Isaac wasn't even there. And, and while Isaac and Rebecca had some problems later on in their relationship, uh, this beginning was so beautiful that I encourage you all to read it once more. It's found in Genesis chapter 24, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful story about how relationships were uh, made in that day. So, I mean, the love part and the relationship part, those were expected to come as a, over a matter of time, much like Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. Do you love me? And what was her answer? 
what? <laughs> Do I love you? And then through the end of the song, yes, I suppose I do. Truth is, though, uh, marriage was a family arrangement, and it wasn't intended for your necessarily your personal happiness. I mean, your personal happiness was a part of it, of course, but that wasn't the primary uh, thing. Now, this, this is one of my most treasured possessions. It was given to me by a, a brilliant young woman uh, just before we left the Middle East. She was from a family of means. She had been able to attend and then graduate college from Lebanon or in Lebanon. And there she had met a man. She wanted to marry him. Her parents were adamant that this would never happen. They had already arranged a marriage. She was deeply, deeply distressed. She came to Barbara and me for help. And at first, my Western eyes could see only the tragedy that this young woman was not able to follow her heart. But it wasn't long before I began to realize that even her parents would not be, could not be, able to resist the weight of culture even had they wanted to. You know, I mean, some parents are sympathetic to their child's wishes. You know, do you like this guy or not? Others, not so much. This is the way it will be. In this case, they cared more for family alliance and resource than spiritual condition. This young woman was a believer. Her young man from Lebanon was a believer. But the man that they had selected for her to marry was not. They, like he, were nominal Christians. So for some weeks we, we talked, and as we did, I began to realize the truth that, that, of course, she had known all along. And that is her only choices were to run away, to give up her family, the whole of it, her country, the whole of it, her history, the whole of it, or to marry a man who would take care of her, but whom she did not love. So she asked me to help her develop some coping mechanisms that would honor God for being with a man that she didn't even know. What I had known theoretically, so I'd known this business for a long time, I now experienced firsthand. Knowing something and experiencing, they're related concepts, but they are two entirely different things. It was a very painful experience for me. It was impossibly painful for her. So after some weeks, she came to our house, and she gave this to me. And she said, the engagement's been done. I'm no longer allowed to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. We left Jordan three months later. I joined the Air Force. I've never seen or heard from her since then. On the bottom, it's simply written, John Tillery, with love, her name, and a passage 
in part of Scripture. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, like this young lady, it is actually more likely than not that Joseph and Mary did not know each other. Certainly not sitting around drinking coffee knowing each other. That's just not the way it worked then. In fact, many places, that's not the way it works now. However, they fully trusted their parents with the arrangement of betrothal. That betrothal was a binding agreement that would take place before witnesses. And once you were betrothed, you were kind of in this transitional state. You weren't married, but you weren't available either. And after a year period of time, then you would actually become married. But suddenly we read in the text, Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. She's pregnant. Other than one time, post his understanding of what happened, there's only one way to get pregnant. I mean, Joseph was devastated. He was looking forward to the day when he and Mary would live together as husband and wife. He was, as the custom was, undoubtedly preparing the home where they would live. And then came the news that shattered all his hopes and all his dreams. Mary was pregnant and he was not the father. First thing I take from this is that Jesus' birth was completely unexpected. It was unexpected by Mary. It was unexpected by Joseph. We're not told what any of their parents thought about any of this. But I want you to know that that is actually one of the greater reasons for the veracity, the truthfulness, the reason to believe the scripture is recording what is actually true. Because when you read writings from that time, nobody would say something like this. Nobody would risk humiliation. Oh, they might write to humiliate others, but they would never write to humiliate themselves. And yet, nonetheless, this story we find here. Jesus was not the result of any human intervention, not the result of any human invention. Nobody thought Jesus up. This was from God, his initiative, and he continues to operate in that way, to be unexpected. He unexpectedly showed up in my life in 1973, and I... I'm sure that he has unexpectedly shown up in your life as well. I mean, we're looking for the return of the blessed hope, the epiphany, his second appearing. But even at that, it will come, I assure you, at an unexpected moment. But I hope he shows up in your life this week. 
But it wasn't just Jesus' birth that was unexpected. Joseph's reaction was also unexpected. I mean, we see that in verse 19. And Joseph had a dilemma. I, I can't think of anything by analogy in our culture that still works. I honestly can't. Not in the American culture. I mean, essentially, Americans are scandaled out. Somebody says so-and-so fell, and you go, yeah, I was wondering when that was going to happen. We're not shocked. We hardly take notice of it. I mean, the whole, the whole thing with the Jerry Falwell's Jr. scandal, we don't even know about it. And that he sued Liberty University, Christians taking Christians to court. <sighs> that is a sad, sad statement about our culture, is it not? Is it not? We should be sick to our stomachs when we see this happen. So I can't find anything. Maybe, maybe you can. The only place that I can put it is somewhere that it's just simply something that is personal and it's not transferable. Uh, in the sense of like perhaps someone trying to describe what it's like for someone who has lost a dear loved one. I mean, when somebody asks what it's like, usually those who try to tell you don't know, and those who know don't try, because it's not transferable. It's just something that happens, and people suffer largely alone. But the Bible says that Joseph was a just man, and that essentially meant that he was a righteous man, that he kept the law. And he knew what the law said. It was quite clear. Do you know that in that day, in that time, Mary could have been stoned to death? Deuteronomy 22, 20 through 22 speaks precisely of her situation. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. Isn't that interesting? Betrothal and wife. We read earlier betrothal and divorce. It's a very uh, binding agreement that is there. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now that says, I think that says more about the thinness of the walls than it does about, you know, whether the woman screamed or not. But what you have is a situation where Mary was literally in danger of being stoned to death. I can only imagine the thoughts that went through Joseph's mind. I, I do not believe, based on his reaction, I do not believe for a moment that he thought that she had been unfaithful. I do believe he thought she had been violated against her will. His reaction is at least indicative of that because he found nothing in her worthy to make this public, to put her to death or to humiliate or to shame her. He decided to do this quietly. He decided 
to take care of this in such a way that it would not ruin her. I'm sure he was brokenhearted. He was stunned at the very least. And he had this choice. Make it public or do it quietly. While he was thinking about this, we see that God gave him a third option. And so what should we take from this? I mean, when a woman is pregnant, we often say that she is expecting. But here we discover that Joseph was really unexpected in his response. I mean, my experience with men like Joseph, my experience is replete with godly men who choose unexpected responses because they invariably lean towards grace and mercy and compassion and not judgment. And I believe that's what we should do as well. Joseph was a man of grace and mercy and compassion. He was a just man. He had to do something. He could not marry her. But then we see something else unexpected, and that's the Lord appears to Joseph in verses 20 and 21. I mean, read verse 20 with me. But as he considered these things, what his approach would be to this, the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was told by the angel of the Lord not to fear to take Mary as his wife. The angel told Joseph more than that. He said, not only that, not only is this baby, this child in the womb, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but you are going to name the child. You shall name the child Jesus. In our culture, that doesn't mean much. But what you need to think more along the lines of, in the angel of the Lord, think, that's an amazing thing to think about. I won't even ponder that here. But as the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, and tells him he would name the child, the thought that should be in your mind is when Jesus was on the cross. And he's talking to John and Mary, and he says, Behold your mother, behold your son. In other words, this was a full adoption. This was, you're going to embrace this child as your own. And then the angel of the Lord tells Joseph an amazing truth. The baby that Mary carries will save his people from their sins. Joseph knew at that moment that Mary was carrying the Messiah. God had this plan all worked out, all detailed out. And he had a plan for Joseph. God has a plan for you and for me. 
You've heard me speak about the word ensue many times. I love the word ensue. Most recently, I used it in relationship to joy, but that's not the only time, nor will this be the last time. But, uh, you know, when I was uh, a young believer, and especially, you know, when Barbara and I were uh, dating and then we got married, and what is the Lord's will for our life? And at that time, books galore were flying around. Find out the will of God for your life. And this was a big, this was an important thing, and it consumed a great deal of my time. If age has taught me anything other than making lists and strategies and charts and graphs, (laughs) few of which ever uh, turn out, I love, it was MacArthur said, no plan withstands first contact with the enemy. So, but plan anyway, because the virtue of planning is in the planning, not in the execution, because you don't have a clue what's going to happen. And, and you don't. So let me be real clear about this. You want to know the will of God for your life? relentlessly pursue Jesus Christ and his word by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's will for your life will simply unfold. It will ensue from your pursuit of Christ. So God took the initiative and did the impossible. Just like he takes the initiative and brings about salvation. The salvation that we cannot achieve ourselves. So many men would have walked away from what the Lord was telling uh, Joseph to do, but he did not. In fact, verse 24 tells us something. It tells us that as soon as Joseph awakened from his dream, he obeyed. He just did it. I mean, and in the doing of it, he violated. We don't think this. You have to know the culture a little bit to figure this out. He violated all of his culture, and he went and he did something. He took Mary that day into his home. He married her on the spot. And it's not because, oh, she's going to be showing, and I'm afraid what people are going to think. It's because the Lord said to him, This son, adopt him, take him as your own. Do not fear. Don't be afraid to marry her. Marry her. And he did. Another thing for us to see here in 22 and 23 is that God with us is unexpected. Oh, by the way, what Joseph did was surely unexpected. God with us, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You have to understand how shocking this was to the ancient reader. Uh, Particularly, the the Greek would have made no sense out of this uh, whatsoever, because they thought that matter was evil. They, they thought and taught, and some to this day still do, 
that your body is something that's evil. It's bad. Your body's bad. What you do with your body is bad. You know, and all of the things. Just think of all the shaming that goes on, whether it's with with eating or uh, not exercising or whatever it might be. Bad, 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 bad. It's all bad. Well, that's the ancient Greek thought. This is they would have thought this was crazy. How could you possibly send God in the form of material? So you end up with nah, 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 nah. That wasn't it. He was a spirit who took a form that looked material. So you could see him, but he wasn't really material. That's not true. Adam and Eve were made of the stuff of this cosmos. I mean, today it used to be good, evil. You know, philosophers, they don't even think that way anymore. The good and evil are terms that they... You notice this. If you watch the news and somebody ever uses the term evil, they'll, they'll shame you. They'll, they'll shame you because no such thing as evil in this modern world that we live. So they take a very neutral view, not good or evil, just, just kind of neutral. It's like Francis uh, Crick. Uh, he calls all of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations and for Christians, the belief in heaven and the belief that Jesus Christ is coming back uh, that's just a pack of neurons. That's what he says. That's a quote, by the way, pack of neurons. You may say, eh, well, who is this guy, Francis Crick? If you don't know who he is, he's the guy that discovered the double helix, like DNA, the father of modern DNA. So this guy's no dummy, right? But that's his position. It's not that matter is good or evil, it just is. It just is. Well, okay, so the Bible says that we're made out of what? Dust. Okay, so we are made out of the stuff of the cosmos. Okay, I got no problem with that. But we're also something else. Because God breathed into us and made us a living soul. We're more than neurons. We are, in fact, created in the image of God. And that should, I mean, there are so many ways that should help, but the only one that I'll point out right now is a lot of people are in pain right now. 2020, for many people, has been a very, very difficult year. For others, it's been a good year. For others, okay, whatever it's been. But for those who have suffered... In your pain, the temptation is to say that, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how bad I'm hurting. But God can say from the book of Hebrews and other places, yes, yes, I do. And why does he? Why can he say that? It's because of that baby in the manger. It's because of the incarnation. It's because of the fact that somehow, in some way, a mystery, God became flesh. Finally, God saves us from our, or Jesus saves us from our sin. In 21, which we've read a couple times already, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
You see, in Jesus Christ, we have a solution for our sin problem. Jesus came to live a perfect life that we could not live, none of us, no matter how. You know, by the time we realize, get this, I want you to get this squarely in your understanding. By the time we realize there's a need to live a perfect life, we've already violated it. It's already done. There, only Jesus Christ could do this. And then he went to the cross and he bore that sin burden. And he rose from the dead to give us life. Jesus came, as the text says, to save us from our sins. God powerfully used Joseph in the life of Jesus. We don't know much about him. But the things that we do know about him make me envious to be a man like him. Joseph was involved in his life, in his training. Joseph was there with Jesus as a child, as a young man. He hauled him into Egypt and back in accordance with the word of the Lord. And God took that poor, humble carpenter and he used him to carry out likely one of the most important Missions that heaven has ever done on earth. God is still looking for ordinary people. He was ordinary, but he was just. To carry out his extraordinary will in the world today. And he's not going to ask you and he's not going to ask me the same task that he asked of Mary and Joseph. But he's got plenty of stuff for us. And he wants you to follow him in spite of the difficulties in your life. You know, if you take the focus off of the pain in your own life and you look in the eyes of Jesus Christ, he will lift you up. We want to be the kind of person that says, here am I, send me. We want to be the kind of people who live lives that are worthy of his calling, living in his kingdom. So I wish you a Merry Christmas, and I wish you a Happy New Year. And I trust that in all of these things, you will glorify Jesus Christ in your life. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your amazing love, mercy, grace, compassion. In short, your hesed, your loyal, loving kindness to each one of us. We pray, Father, that you would give us the strength that we need. Lord, simply to turn our eyes heavenward to look to you to take them off the earth take them off the pain and place them on you who have the has the answer and the answer may not be in words propositions may not even be understandable but it is in your presence through Christ our lord amen